Hello and welcome. I'm Grace Farrell. I'm Harry Kind. And this is the brand new Get Answers podcast. Hopefully it's clear from the name, but just in case it's not, this podcast is all about getting you answers around the things you spend your money on. From groceries to property to holidays, Harry and I promise you will come away from every episode with tips and tricks to help you live your best consumer life. When life gives you questions, which get answers. Did you know? Two slices of supermarket wholemeal bread provide around 16% of our daily fibre needs. Half a tin of baked beans contains as much protein as two small eggs. And all bran, bran flakes and Weetabix are all high in fibre and contain important vitamins and minerals. But what do these three foods have in common with each other? It's ultra-processed food, sometimes shortened to UPF, and it's something that's been in the news a lot recently. Research has linked eating lots of UPFs with health conditions such as obesity, cancer, type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, IBS, depression, the list goes on. Although it's worth saying that most of the research out there is based on observational studies, which can't definitively prove cause and effect. But either way, 60%, so the majority of our diet, is made up of ultra-processed foods. So basically packaged foods that contain additives of some sort. Harry, does this stat shock you? It does. And then you realise just how pervasive it is and just how every single shelf is filled with it. And the scary thing is that for teenagers, that figure's closer to over 80%. And for those on lower income groups, again, over 80% of our food. Gosh, I mean, I think back to when I was a teenager and I didn't think I had a bad diet at the time, but I used to start some days before school with one of those Cocoa Pop cereal bars. I'd have like a slice of pizza or a donut at break time. (laughs) I'd have whatever the school meal was, a burger and chips or something with like a bottle of Oasis juice. I'd have snacks after school and then my dinner would very easily be like an oven pizza, maybe fries to go, some vegetables, of course. And I just didn't realise I was being so unhealthy. But You, you were pre-Jamie Oliver, though, famously, your childhood. <laughs> I think I was on the cusp. <laughs> well, today, we're going to ask and get answers to whether ultra-processed food is really as bad as some experts say it is, whether this means we're too quick to dismiss some foods that are actually quite healthy, and what we should be looking out for when we do our weekly shop. We're joined by two fantastic experts, which nutritionist Shafali Loth and columnist, chef and food writer Xanthi Clay. Hello. Hi. Hi. So if there was just one sentence that you want our listeners to hear from you today, what would it be, Xanthi? I'd like to clear up the confusion between processed food and ultra-processed food. Minimally processed food covers everything from kind of artisan cheese to your homemade tomato sauce. But ultra-processed food is typically made with sophisticated use of additives and industrial processes, the kind of things you just wouldn't do at home. Okay. And Shafali, what about you? Mine would be to think about your diet as a whole and try to eat whole foods where possible, but not to freak out and focus too much on the odd UPF that might be in your diet. Okay. And Harry, if you could ask just one question today, what would it be? I suppose it's generally, should people be trying to reduce their intake of UPFs? What do you think, Xanthi? The answer is it's impossible or nigh on impossible to completely cut UPFs out of your diet. That's just not going to happen. But should we be thinking really hard about the food that we're eating? Yeah, I think we probably should. And I would totally agree. So cutting down on them, but not necessarily cutting them out. Absolutely. I feel, as Anthony says, it's really unrealistic and it's not really 
possible for a lot of people to totally cut them down or totally remove them from their diets, but definitely think about reducing them. And you touched on this just now, Xanthi, about the difference between processed and ultra-processed food, because mm. it's easy to sort of lump them together and just think processed food is, is bad, but actually processed food can mean any food that's had something done to it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you slice a tomato, you're processing it. So processed food is, it's a bit of a confusing term, in fact. And so there's something called the NOVA score that was developed in Brazil, which is where a lot of this talk about ultra-processed has come out of, really. And they talk about food as unprocessed, which would be that tomato before you sliced it, mind. Mm -hmm. Or it would be things like ingredients, things like flour or sugar. Well, sugar is a whole different topic, mm -hmm. but those sorts of ingredients that you wouldn't eat on their own, but which are included in recipes. And then you have minimally processed foods or simply processed foods, which are things like cheese or the loaf of sourdough bread or foods which you might make at home. And then you have the ultra-processed, which is very much industrial food, really. In fact, one definition I've read of it is food-like substances. Oh, OK. So not even food. <laughs> well, as Anthony Bourdain once said, I don't know what it is, but it's not food. <laughs> so what is it that makes a food ultra-processed then? Does it have to have particular ingredients added to it? Yeah, basically. So it tends to be foods that have been produced on an industrial scale, but it also is food that has additives such as preservatives or emulsifiers or thickeners, things that you wouldn't necessarily find in your kitchen at home. So I suppose it's stuff that almost requires a corporation to exist in order to make it in a way. You couldn't do it at home. But there seems to be something else going on as well, because even when studies look at foods of comparative nutrition, people who have high ultra-processed food diets tend to have worse health outcomes. By and large, people who have diets high in ultra-processed food tend to have diets lower in nutrition. And is that because they're replacing foods that would have been high in nutrition with foods that are low in nutrition, but that are kind of ultra palatable, hyper palatable? I, I think so. Yes. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Like we know that if you eat whole foods, they fill you up a lot quicker mm. um, than some ultra processed foods might, for example. And we know that ultra processed foods do displace other foods from diets because, as you've said, they are hyper palatable. But I think Xanthi said as well, the evidence is really just emerging and we don't know what exactly it is about these foods. Um, a lot of the time they are high in fat, sugar and salt as well, which obviously adds to their hyper palatability. But yeah, the evidence just isn't there for us to say, right, this emulsifier is causing this right. condition. Mm. And that's what it seems to be, is that it's a framework for a larger conversation and not just this food bad, this food good, that one's better than that one, but more of a, this is a, a whole, you know, ecosystem of our food. This is what we are buying, which is a kind of societal problem. Yeah. And it's a definition that we're trying to put on it. I guess there's quibbles with that then, of yeah. course, that when you have a definition, things are always going to be on the edge. I think the definition of UPF is so broad. And actually that can be problematic because it includes foods such as formula milk for babies. Now, there's a real issue here because actually if a mother can't breastfeed or doesn't want to breastfeed mm. or for whatever reason, the only other healthy alternative is infant formula. And actually, I feel like the UPF umbrella can demonise certain foods yeah. that there isn't a, mm. another alternative for or someone can't access that alternative. And so it can 
scare people mm. unnecessarily. Shafali, what are some of the foods that you think have maybe been unfairly labelled as UPF? In my opinion, the foods that have been demonised as being UPF probably don't need to be quite as much or can contribute to a healthy diet are things like sliced bread, wholemeal bread, baked beans, hummus, fish fingers, for example. So let's look at bread in a bit more detail. So I've got a pack of wholemeal Warburton's bread, which I would buy at the supermarket. I would think that this is healthy. To be honest, before I started researching for this episode, I didn't know bread was an ultra-processed food. I just didn't. I thought it was healthy. Not all bread is ultra-processed. That kind of bread is (laughs) ultra-processed. Yeah, yeah. The kind of the supermarket bread. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm looking at the ingredients and, you know, you've got flour, water, yeast, vegetable oils, rapeseed, sustainable palm, salt, Mm. wheat, gluten. So then you've got emulsifiers, E471, E481, E472E. What what are these E numbers? So an E number is basically an additive that has been approved for use in the EU. Okay. So an additive, whether it be a preservative or an emulsifier or thickener, stabiliser, will have a name, but it will also have an E number that corresponds to that name. So it's a code for the additive. So E471 is a bakery emulsifier, palm-based food additive that is composed of two molecules known as glyceryl monosterate and glyceryl disterate. I think the thing about E numbers is that they are a bit demonised, but in fact, They were first developed to be helpful to clarify the situation because, of course, if you take something like salt, it can also be called sodium chloride. And most additives have got several different names. And by giving them an E number, it meant there was just one code, one thing it could be so that you could check up on it. And actually, lots of perfectly innocuous ingredients have got E numbers. So saffron, which is a delicious and very expensive herb, is E164, I think. Mm. And carrageen, which is a kind of seaweed that's used to gel as as a sort of vegan gelatin has got an E number as well. So having an E number doesn't make something bad. Absolutely. Even gold is an e, has an E number. It does, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we, we shouldn't be scared off if we see an E number on a food package. But what are the ingredients that should be raising alarm bells when we're shopping? Well, I think these diglycerides, mono and diglycerides are fatty acids, which are used as emulsifiers and also work as sort of a bit as preservatives as well. Why are they there? So they're also driving profit as well. And I just think you have to question why they're there. Now, I've got another classic store cupboard staple in front of us. It's pasta sauce. And in one mug, we have a well-known shop-bought version. And in the other, it's a homemade version made by Harry. Well, can I apologise in advance for this? I was supposed to make at home a pasta sauce. And then I thought, do you know what? I'll make a pasta sauce in the office using a microwave to show just how easy it can be. (laughs) Not then realising that the office doesn't have access to like, for example, salt or herbs or uh, (laughs) an oil that isn't pats of butter from the breakfast corner. So if you detect a hint of dairy, that's on purpose. Sounds delicious. (laughs) What that is, is some sliced up garlic. It's plum tomatoes just chopped from a tin. Really finely sliced celery, and then a bit of water. And actually, the the secret ingredient recommended from the recipe is in there, which may be a little bit of an ultra-processed cheat, is a bit of bread crust, which I think gives the thickening that you wouldn't necessarily Mm. get from a microwave. So I was surprised that it turned out all right. 
How much did this cost you? Yes. So this barely cost anything. So the can of tomatoes was 40p. A bulb of garlic is going to be 24p a bulb. And then a bit of waste bread. You could have some oil in there, some salt, some herbs, whatever you've got at home. But ultimately, if you had a probably the same amount as this jar, it would be 64p. Wow. Which is pretty impressive considering this would cost you about £2.50 RRP. And how long did it take you to make? It took me about 20 minutes, including the cook time. So the the dream is that you cook this in bulk, you you know freeze it up, you have it in your uh, fridge and it's ready to go over of a weeknight. So I cooked this entirely in the microwave, no frying, no hob involved, in the corner of the office. And uh, well, people didn't mind the smell. So in this lilac mug is a kind of classic store-bought brand name pasta sauce. So if we look at the ingredients in, in the store-bought one, we've got tomatoes, double concentrated tomato paste, sugar, modified maize starch, basil, salt, sunflower oil, garlic, acidity regulator, citric acid. I think Harry said his has about five ingredients in. The shop-bought one has a lot. There's obviously a long shelf life on that product. So that's why it's got the preservatives and the acidity regulators, etc. But we can taste and see which one we prefer. All really interesting. And we're going to be moving into some other healthy swaps we can make after this. Welcome back to Get Answers. I'd like to talk about snacks now, as this feels like an area where UPFs are rife. I mean, I've got a five and a three-year-old. They eat quite a few snacks every day. My daughter actually recently spent half term at Holiday Club, and they actually like specify, please, can you send them in with four snacks in addition to a packed lunch? And beyond an apple or like a piece of fruit and maybe some carrot sticks, I just really struggle because nuts aren't allowed because it's a childcare setting. And all of the stuff you kind of buy in the shops in packages, it seems to be either UFP or high in sugar because it's kind of like dried fruit. So have you got any recipe ideas for healthy snacks for children, Xanthi? Gosh, and it is a really tricky one, I think. I would say think of cheese. A piece of cheese is a really great snack. I mean, even the kind which are wrapped in wax. Yes, it's probably more processed than an artisan cheese, but it's still going to be a really good source of calcium and a decent bit of protein as well and good for your teeth. Well, not bad for your teeth. Yeah, mine was going to be cheese too. It's really <laughs> hard. We can't have cheese twice. Yeah, okay. It is really hard. And I think, as you said, outside of nuts, it is really fruit and vegetable based. If you can try and make that a little more exciting, you know, maybe some chopped apples, some chopped berries. Snacks are a real struggle. This is me, of course, talking from the privileged position of not having kids. But I don't know, 100 years ago, we wouldn't have even had any of these options. Kids wouldn't have had those. You hear about like Roald Dahl, the fascination of having that one bar of chocolate that you could have (laughs) every week. And I kind of think, what would the famous five eat? And I suppose those are the snacks that you could possibly have. A whole tongue, I think, the famous five. I would love a whole tongue. (laughs) (laughs) But I couldn't agree more. I think very young children like your kids absolutely do need more than just three meals a day. Older kids, probably not so much. And this whole kind of snack-driven eating that has grown up over the last sort of 30, 40 years has been also really profitable for all those ultra-processed food manufacturers. 
Can we talk about breakfasts? Because that's another area that I feel is kind of full of, of UPFs. You've got sort of cereal, which is often just like full of sugar. You've got, you know, sliced bread. We talked about porridge, but what else would you suggest as healthy, non-ultra processed breakfast meals? Well, I'm a big fan of overnight oats, which is kind of a modern word for what we used to call muesli. I think, which is where you soak maybe one part oats with probably about for me, I use about one and a half parts of milk, but you could use water, you could use fruit juice and you soak those overnight. I add a little bit of cinnamon, which I think mm. kind of makes them a little bit sweeter without adding sugar. Sometimes I add some grated apple and some chopped nuts, maybe just a few raisins or a little bit of chopped apricot, something like that. You soak it overnight. It goes all lovely and soft and squishy overnight and is a really yummy, quick grab and go breakfast in the morning. You can even do it in a jar with a screw top lid, shove it in your backpack, take it into work and eat it when you get to your desk. Eggs are another really great breakfast, mm. which are quick, cheap, but also really nutritious. And what about lunches? I mean, again, we just think of a, a sandwich as being the classic go-to lunch. What are healthier options that are less processed? You could make a pasta salad at home. I guess it all involves mainly pre-preparing your meals at home. So it could be that you make extra dinner and have the leftovers for lunch the next day, or you could make a batch at the weekend and it could be a pasta salad, it could be a couscous salad. Really, all you need in there is a whole grain carbohydrate, a protein source, whether that's meat, fish, dairy, eggs, or even some kind of pulse, and then some vegetables. Yeah, it does come down to doing a little bit of cooking, I'm mm. afraid, because it goes back to what we were saying about the ultra processed foods make food behave in a way that it actually isn't naturally meant to behave. It makes food last in a little plastic box. So actually, you are going to have to prepare fresh at home if you want to have something comparative. Although I am a little bit inspired by Harry's tomato sauce <laughs> made in the corner of the office. I think with one of those sachets of ready cooked lentils stirred through it, I think that'd be a cracking lunch. Mm. And, and I think in a way, the substitute that all these ingredients are substituting for is time. We yeah. would have once upon a time and, you know, women would have spent once upon a time a lot of time having to cook this food. And as a society, we've now not got any of that time for better and for worse. Mm -hmm. And so it's being replaced with convenience. Mm -hmm. And it's almost we have to say, well, maybe we have to give a bit of time to our food, everybody. And maybe that comes at the expense of eating the same thing five times in a week as we would have done for years in the past. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's more freezing. Maybe it's more as a family having to cook a big old batch. But mm -hmm. I guess time is that most expensive ingredient. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. I think there's a lot to be said for convenience, isn't there? I mean, I'm, I'm hearing all this and I'm thinking, yeah, there are definitely things that I could do differently. But on those days or those weeks that you really are just pushed for time, it sounds like there are ultra processed foods that we really shouldn't be too scared of. You know, your breads, your hummuses, your fish fingers, that kind of thing. But what would you say are the ultra processed foods that you really should avoid or only ever eat kind of in a treat scenario? I don't really buy into you should never have this food. I think demonising individual foods is quite dangerous. You know, actually, one food is not going to sink your diet in the same way a superfood, so-called superfood, won't save your diet. It's really about your diet as a whole. And you need to think about all those foods in it and collectively what they're doing for you. So do you want to drink a can of diet fizzy drink occasionally? Fine. You know, 
Is it the best thing for you? Of course not. But drinking it once in a while isn't going to be terrible. So I don't think I would be able to say if there was one food I would never eat. I know what I wouldn't eat from a preference point of view, but nutritionally, I don't have one. What do you think, Xanthi? Yeah, I completely agree. There's no such thing as bad food. It's about how it's consumed and, and how it's sold to us. You know, I'm not saying it's people's fault that they eat a lot of these foods. It's that they're there and they're tempting and we want to eat them. And so maybe I think the worst ones are the ones that you can't stop eating, those bags of crisps where you just want to have another one, that, that addictive quality mm. of food. I think that's a big issue. Well, before we all rush out to the supermarket to stock up on less processed whole foods, make sure you scroll down this podcast feed for our episode with Jordan Cox, aka Britain's Coupon Kid. He has so much brilliant advice on how to make your money go further at the shops and pick up bargains for all sorts of things. There's also a link to that episode in the description for today's show. You can email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk or you can find us all over social media at witch.uk. Can I be really naughty and end this episode by asking what your favourite ultra-processed food is? Santhi, can I start with you? Oh, gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> I think it would probably be a Mr Whippy ice cream from the ice cream mm. van. I have no idea what's in that stuff. <laughs> but it's so wrapped up with childhood memories mm. and happiness and something that happened, you know, a couple of times a year. And, oh, yeah, that's pretty special stuff for me. That's a good one. I did struggle as well to think of one. Only one, I, I should <laughs> point out. Um, but I think if I had to really pinpoint it, it would probably be salt and vinegar crisps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could. How about you, up. Grace? I am ashamed to say I used to make the most ridiculous meals when I was at uni and looking back, they were so ultra processed. I used to get barbecue flavoured baked beans, tinned bolognese sauce, have them on top of each other with cheese grated on them. <laughs> and I also, I can't actually be the one saying this out loud. <laughs> I used to have mushy peas, tinned mushy peas with um, mint jelly, you know, like mint sauce that you have with lamb, but you can get the jelly version. <laughs> Mix it together. And I'd have it with, again, with um, cheese, normally Jarlsberg. Min I don't eat that anymore. I was going to say, I'm really not coming to your house for dinner. <laughs> no, I like to think I actually have very good taste in food now. Minted but, yeah. peas, all the food groups. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, good on you. Well, Xanthi Shafali, thank you so much for joining us today and getting us answers here. Xanthi, can you tell us where we can find more of your work? Yes, on the Telegraph website, telegraph.co.uk. Lots of my recipes and articles are up there. Brilliant. And Shafali, what are you kind of working on at the moment? So coming up for next year, we're looking at recipe kits and meal boxes, those you know, hello fresh mm. gusto. So we've got a huge consumer survey to see whether some are better than others. And we're also doing a huge amount of research into the sustainability of restaurant chains in the UK. Okay. So we're looking at the largest 30 chains and comparing them across a whole range of measures to see whether some are more sustainable than others. Well, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's it for our first episode of our new fortnightly Get Answers podcast. We're here to serve you, so please do let us know what you thought and what you'd like to hear more of. We would love a rating and a review as well if you fancy doing that. 
Harry, what are we up to next time? Well, we are talking about that ancient tradition that is Black Friday. We will be telling you about whether you can shop smarter, how you can save a bit of money and the very best deals. Brilliant. Well, we would love to hear from you, especially if you've got any go-to healthy recipes of your own. And if you've got a consumer question that you'd like some answers to, we're always open to ideas. So email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk or give us a shout on our socials at witchuk. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts. Just search for Witch Money or Witch Shorts wherever you're listening. And we've got more answers to all manner of questions like the ones you've heard in this episode over on the Witch website. Today's Get Answers was presented by me, Grace Farrell, alongside Harry Kind, produced and recorded by Rob Lilly and edited by Eric Breer. And thanks again to our wonderful guests, Shafali Loth and Santhi Clay. We'll see you next time. Bye. (laughs) 